theaters November 27th. Mr. You can there, right? Beware the cyborg. This appears to be some kind of map. This is the moment Jim Hawkins had always dreamed of. Whoa, treasure planet. Now, he's determined to go for it. This is my chance to set things right. I don't want to lose you. Make you proud. Robert Louis Stevenson's greatest adventure, Treasure Island, as it has never been seen before. All hands to Satan! Walt Disney Pictures presents... Treasure Planet. How cool is this? What are you looking at, weirdo? Yeah, weirdo. Brace yourself. Oh, oh what a pleasure to meet you, Jimmy. It's Jim. <laughs> and you are? I want to say Larry. He may be on a quest for gold. To make people see me a little different. Mr. Silver? Cyborg. But he better watch out for Silver. Change in bloodlines! Pirates on my ship! Oh, Mama. We move now! This isn't over yet. Sometimes, Come on! courage can be the greatest treasure of all. You think a pup like you can take on the likes of me? Watch me. Treasure Planet. Captain Flint? In the flesh! Except for skin, organs, or anything that resembles flesh. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Hello, everybody. It's time for another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Coming to you on Channel 1138, StarWarsUnderworld.com, IPCPodcast.Podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a host of other podcasts that I just forget which ones we broadcast to because it's just so darn many. My name is Zach, and I'm excited to have you with us for the next little while here on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun as we continue our discussion of Disney's underrated classics. We've already discussed The Great Mouse Detective and Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and tonight we continue our discussions of stuff from the early 2000s that kind of got glossed over. However, this one turned out to be a major flop at the box office, and we're going to talk about that, the film itself, and so much more in the next little while. But before we get to any of that, let's introduce some of the other voices you're going to be hearing on this show, because you do not want to hear me monologuing. We've done that before, and trust me, it's not pretty. So joining me and helping me out with this discussion of this movie is my good buddy, my co-host, Mr. Benjamin Hart. 
How's it going, everybody? Yeah, I'm uh, very much looking forward to discussing the next movie on the docket tonight. Uh, this has been a fun arc so far. Um, past couple episodes have been really fun, and I'm uh, looking forward to getting into this one, too, because, uh, as we said, underappreciated. We'll, uh, we'll decide. We'll see how they fare, because we've had some surprising opinions um, the past couple weeks, and uh, who knows, might have some surprising opinions tonight. That is very true. And ironically, I, I was looking at like the trivia for this film, and financially, it's one of the worst returns that Disney has ever had. Wow. And yet, ironically, it was also nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I heard that. So it's just it's kind of all over the place. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about all of that, but here to join us on that discussion, for another round of Disney talk, please help us welcome Mr. Jake Damon. Hello, everybody. Uh, glad to be here again, once again. Um, I'm loving this arc so far. Like you said, Ben, it's been really fun. And uh, it's it's been a lot of... I mean, I've seen all these movies and revisiting them all have has been a really good time for me, especially just reminded me of my childhood a lot. And this is no exception. I remember when this movie came out. I remember uh, the Happy Meal toys that I got. I remember um, wanting to build a solar surfer like Jim has at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. I just I have so many memories wrapped in this and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and, and give away the spoilers because, I mean, it's probably in the title of the episode that you're listening to anyways. It's not any big surprise that the movie on the docket that we're talking about that we've been alluding to for the last few minutes is the 2002 Disney film Treasure Planet, which, I mean, you can kind of get the idea that it's like a space version of Treasure Island. I mean, you've even got the name Jim Hawkins and... Uh, Mr. Silver, you've got right. uh, Billy Bones and Mr. Arrow and, you know, some other characters in here that um, maybe they're from Robert Louis Stevenson's classic novel. Maybe they're not. Um, there were some creative liberties that were taken with this film, obviously. And uh, believe it or not, uh, our friend Stephen Schinder, part of the Peacekeeper Corps, went and found out that there's actually another movie by the same title that was made a couple of decades previously called The Treasure Planet. Really? So mm. apparently this movie is based on another movie as well as the classic novel. And maybe that has something to do with the quality of the film. Uh, it, honestly, like this movie has gotten some mixed reviews within like the the Peacekeeper Corps that we have. That's like a, a a group chat for all the people that listen to IPC regularly. Um, like I put a poll out there: what's the best retelling of the Treasure Island story? And the majority vote went to Muppet Treasure Island over Treasure Planet. Wow! See. Like, that's an interesting, uh, interesting take. I think because like I, I also love that version, but I definitely think it's more of a comedic take on the film. And if we're going strictly based on, on dramatic storytelling, I, even mixed with humor, I do think, in my opinion, this is this might be the best adaptation. 
and this is the only adaptation of Treasure Island that I've seen, so I will refrain from commenting. (laughs) Okay, I I take that back. I just went to our group, and some more votes have popped up that actually went the way of Treasure Planet, but for a while there, Muppet Treasure Island was holding a pretty strong lead. So it's kind of back and forth. The other one that I added was the the retelling of the story from the perspective of Wishbone. Do you guys remember Wishbone? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. What's the story, Wishbone? There was an episode called Salty Dog where Wishbone played Jim Hawkins and went on the Treasure Island adventure as the main character. So, like, it's been, there's... It's been redone so many times. It, what's interesting is I went and did a little bit of research and watched some videos on this, and, you know, Disney did their own version of Treasure Island in 1950s, a, a live-action version of yep, the, I remember the that one. classic story. And that probably is on Disney Plus, too. Again, everything we've been watching the past few weeks is on Disney Plus. <laughs> We're not being paid to say that. It's just the way it is. That's, um, just, that's just how it happened. We just got lucky like that. But the directors of Treasure Planet, Ron Clements and uh, John Musker, they, since their beginnings with Disney, wanted to do what they called Treasure Island, but in space. That was their dream gig, was to do this movie. But Disney kept putting them off and said, no, 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 go do this movie. The first movie they told them to go do was The Great Mouse Detective. Wow. And so they did so they did that movie, and they're like, "Oh, let's let's do that Treasure Planet movie again." No, 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 go do Aladdin. <laughs> and then they came back and they did a few other movies, and then they eventually came around, you know, in two thousand one, and said, "Okay, two thousand two, actually," um, and said, "Yeah, you can do that movie now." And then, uh, yeah, big flop, <laughs> big gigantic flop, yeah. and and it just and it's not just that it was a flop; it was the fact that. This movie was incredibly expensive. Like they were utilizing uh, motion tracking, some kind of really sophisticated for the time uh, CGI animation plus CG plus standard animation, hand drawn. A lot of stuff went into this, and it looks stunning. It the movie looks absolutely stunning, and you can tell the, what they're doing. And, it really does. And it's it's it, they sunk a so much amount of money into it. And as we've said, like I've heard about this movie. All my life, I remember it when it came out, but I've heard people talk about it ad nauseum since then because this movie is just has a cult following, and it's a shame that you know. And it just goes to show, like box office numbers make not a good movie. Like it, there's mm-hmm. a lot of movies out there that cough <coughs> Transformers um, that that made a lot of money, <laughs> and people went to the theaters in droves to see those movies, but they, you know, the critics hated them and vice versa. So yeah. there you go. I mean, this, it just goes to show you, you got to take a movie at face value and see it for yourself to decide whether it's good or not. The, the numbers don't, I mean, there's so much that goes into what, what makes a movie money. And a lot of that has to do with marketing and a lot of it has to do with word of mouth and uh, so on. So yeah, this is just another example of what I think is a, a Disney masterpiece that just kind of went, under the radar and slips through the cracks undeservedly. So let, let's go ahead and, and talk about the numbers because that's that's one of the biggest pieces of Treasure Planet's sad story. There was actually a sequel in the works. I heard about that, this. That was, yeah. that was going to be made 
based on the success of this movie. And when this movie didn't have the success Disney was looking for, they scrapped the sequel. But there was supposed to be future adventures with Jim, and the main antagonist was going to be Ironbeard instead of Blackbeard. Interesting. And was had like a whole plot and like even casting decisions and stuff ready to go, and then didn't happen. Yeah, I believe Willem Dafoe was cast as the villain. I think so. Wow, I would love that. (laughs) That would have been amazing. I I love Willem Dafoe, and his voice would have been perfect for that. Um, Also, that kind of reminds me the way they set that up of like kind of what they did with Pirates of the Caribbean, where it's just like every subsequent movie just has like a different famous pirate from pirate lore or whatever. And that kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, and this could have easily been like. We were talking about last week, like with Atlantis, like Atlantis seemed like they put a lot into that movie. They really thought it was going to be something huge. Again, not as well received as they wanted it to be, but it could have easily been a franchise. Treasure Planet could have easily been a franchise, Um, a a movie with multiple films. And who knows? The sequel might not have been as good. A lot of sequels aren't as good, but a lot of sequels are even better sometimes. So who knows? I mean, so let's go back to the budget for just a second here because – the the reason why we didn't get a sequel was because of how this first film did. I'm not even counting for the marketing, which to my understanding was somewhere in the 40 to 50 million range. That's how much in marketing they spent on this film. The budget for this movie alone was $140 million. Wow. By comparison, I think Justice League was made on $200 million. Wow. You're talking about an, an, a, a animated movie in the early 2000s. Like, I, Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to me just because of like how much work, obviously, oh, went into the animation. And Undertaking, the, the, the production for the film got started in like 97 or something. This film basically took five years to complete. Yeah, that's crazy. And so it was a budget of $140 million dollars. It was in the box office. It was it was in theaters from November 27th of 2002 to February 13th of 2003. So that's November, December, January, February. It was in theaters for about four months, wow. which is pretty pretty decent. I mean, it's not like a, a world record or anything, but that's a pretty decent runtime. That's a pretty decent uh, amount to be out there, and in that time. Worldwide, it only made a hundred and nine point five million. Mm. Yeah, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it opened next to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, so wow. that would have been a massive drain to it. That's crazy to me. It does not seem like those movies came out at the same time, but they definitely did. Well. <clears throat> Regardless of, of what your competition is, to come in $31 million under budget, not including marketing. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a failure. It's, it's not really a surprise that this movie didn't end up becoming a franchise. In fact, I believe as of 2011, this is the biggest loss financially that Disney has ever taken with one of their films. I mean, it seems like this really ushered in the 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 ousting of kind of traditional animation at Disney cuz like there wasn't very many of these after this one. Like they really went to strictly 
CGI and you know what we get with Moana and all the modern yeah. stuff now. Um, yeah, this was kind was of no, the last. There's no, there's no, there's, yeah, there's no more blending of it. It's like strictly one. It's yeah. just I like. Do we know why? Like, what are the reasons? You know, because I mean, the marketing from what I can remember was pretty good. You know, and and I like this is another one of those movies just based on the trailers i was like interested in watching you know as a kid so why didn't it seem to spark interest i don't i mean it, it's it's hard i mean there's so many different variables you've got the marketing and you know the marketing can play a huge role in this and just you know what was coming out at the time and you know it's 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 up against one possibly one of the biggest movies of all time the first harry potter film you know, coming yeah, comes that, that, that comes out a yeah, week later. According um, to Steve, oh, actually, that close, really. Ben, sorry, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but no, according to Stephen in the chat, it was actually Chamber of Secrets that this movie came out close to. Oh, okay, Chamber of Secrets. Oh, that makes sense. That makes that sense. does make sense. I was getting my years mixed up. I've been I've been so in uh, Atlantis two thousand one mode that I forgot I got to move it up a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What went wrong according to the box office profits? I've never heard of the box office profits, so I'm kind of winging it here. Sounds like something from Harry Potter speaking. I'm, of Harry Potter. I'm trying I'm trying to find like a like some kind of insight article that might give us some details as to what actually transpired and and why the movie curtailed the way that it did because I mean even if it doesn't hit home for some people it should still have something to it that people would want to go and watch. I mean, it could just be one of those things where it's like, I mean, if you have kids, you're either going to go see Harry Potter or this. And I feel like a lot of conservative families at the time weren't going to see Harry Potter. My family was definitely included in that. Like we, I, I remember wanting to be into Harry Potter when I was a kid, but my, I just wasn't allowed until a certain age. So, I mean, that could just be a thing, you know, we, we, went to see that instead yeah and and i think a sequel like that could be even worse for the box office because you get so much hype you know a lot of there's yeah. a lot of hype about harry potter anyway because of the books but like still when it's the, it, the first movie's out like it would take maybe a few weeks to kind of get some really good word of mouth going whereas the sequel people are already in for it the people that are right. actually going not so, my family again like you like you my family wasn't interested at all but uh, a lot of people were right Here's 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 a couple of quotes that I found from Richard Cook, who was Disney's chairman at the time, he says, maybe we didn't do a good enough job to entice an audience to want to come. He says that maybe the film was, quote, too serious and earnest in the marketing end quote. He says, maybe we should have stressed other elements to make it fun and exciting. Ultimately, from what I'm seeing on a couple of different pages Disney just flat out underestimated how big of a franchise Harry Potter was going to become. It was right at the beginning, though, because, like, I mean, those books were kind of halfway done being written and the movies were just kind of starting to come out. So the world was just kind of discovering what Harry Potter was, really. I guess at that time, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the the assured hit that we know it as today like it was yeah. more of a fringe thing because as you said like the books even weren't weren't even done at that point yeah it was an uncertain time for disney films with movies like atlantis in 2001 and then treasure planet in 2002 like this is 
is kind of it's kind of one of those gray areas where you're like either really really into those movies or really really not into those movies mm-hmm. and there's some people that were just super on a harry potter kick at the time and some people that were just like eh, maybe that's not my thing so maybe i'll go watch this over here but uh yeah. those people were in a, a vast minority yes so. indeed well it's, it's interesting it's i interesting guess to we... think about. I guess we can go ahead and get into our thoughts on the movie. We've, mm-hmm. we've kind of dissected, like, why some people weren't into it when it came out, but clearly it's developed this following after the fact, and a lot of movies do that, and now here we are, because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be sitting here discussing it. Right, and yeah. I think I think we would be remiss if we didn't start out talking about the excellent cast that they had for this movie. Like I go and look at the cast list up and down and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they actually got this person. Oh, my gosh, they actually got this person. Some of these names are pretty recognizable, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, we we know who JGL is. I didn't at the time, but now I do. Um, Well, okay, maybe not when you first watched it, but I mean, he was already on Third Rock from the Sun. He was already on um, what was it? He was in Angels in the Outfield. Come on, Jake, you weren't sitting in the theater in 2002 going, hey, that's that guy from Looper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nope. <laughs> um, we all, now we know who Corey Burton is because he's done so many things with uh, the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had he had a role in this film. But then um, Laurie Metcalf. Yes. Laurie freaking Metcalf. For those of you who don't know, she was... Um, Jim Hawkins' mom in this movie mm. and was Andy's mom in the movie Toy Story. Oh my goodness. And see, I did not know when that. this movie started, I'm like, I know that voice. I know yes. that voice from somewhere. Yep. And I had to IMDB. I'm like, oh my God, it is Andy's mom. Mm. Wow, the mental explosion I just had was right? crazy. Right? Okay, I'm getting ready. Get, get ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to further blow your mind just a little bit. Um, obviously, we know who Martin Short and Emma Thompson are now, Captain Amelia yeah. and Ben, respectively. Uh, but we also got Roscoe Lee Brown as Mr. Arrow, the first officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for those of you who don't know, Roscoe Lee Brown was also the voice of Francis from Oliver and Company. He's also the narrator in Babe. I know that's a really random one, but he's from. He has such a good voice. And then if we want to take it even further, he was Jebediah Nightlinger on John Wayne's The Cowboys. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Deep cut. Do you guys remember The Cowboys where John Wayne takes all those elementary and middle school age boys out on a cattle run and like they end up like having to save his butt because he gets attacked by rustlers and crap like that. Like oh, man. John Williams did the score for that movie. Really? For a John Wayne movie. I did not know that. This was this was back when he was Johnny Williams. <laughs> this was this was a long time ago in another galaxy, another universe, but uh it was a big deal for a, a black man to have a a co starring role back in those days. Yep. He he and John Wayne were basically the two main adults taking these kids on a cattle drive. 
Wow. And so it was like it was a really, really big deal for Roscoe Lee Brown to have that role. And then he gets to voice Francis on Oliver and Company and Mr. Arrow on this movie a few years later. It's just that one. That one was one that really got to me. And then, Jake, you're going to appreciate this. Another member from Frasier ends up in a Disney film. Oh, yes. Last week, we had John Mahoney on Atlantis. And this week, we got David Hyde Pierce as Dr. Doppler. Dr. Delbert Doppler. So here's the thing that I don't think I realized until I've started looking at some of these other Disney slash Pixar movies and stuff. David Hyde Pierce was also in A Bug's Life. He was slim in uh, 1998. And then here we are in 02 doing Dr. Doppler. And then, um, like I mentioned, John Mahoney was in uh, Atlantis. And then you also take a look at Toy Story 2, which came out in 1999, and that had Kelsey Grammer as the prospector. Basically, Frasier was like the most popular show of the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Because that's the only reason why you would get the stars from Frasier to do all these voice roles from 1998 to 2002. That was like peak Frasier. And you had Pierce in two movies. You had Grammar in a Pixar movie. And then you get Mahoney in another movie. Like you're putting the stars of Frasier in animated films because their acting career is at its peak during that four-year period. And I don't think I really realized that until I saw all of these different casting announcements with the cast from Frasier. It's, and also, they're just good voice actors, too. Like, they're great yes, actors, but, yes, I mean, absolutely. who knew they'd be such good voice actors? Yes, absolutely. Um, apparently, Mahoney was um, also in the Iron Giant, according to Steve. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's so, another good movie. So, I mean, these guys are like, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but I just found it interesting that they're kind of like at their peak right now. And that's in regular acting and in uh, voice acting, which is pretty cool. Yep. Which I got to say, that's definitely one of the highlights of this movie for me is David Hyde Pierce. Yeah. He's great. I, I mean, his character. He made a Star Trek reference. Did, did y'all, he really? He did? Y'all didn't notice. I don't think but, I caught that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, when he oh, when he says I'm a doctor, I'm not a you know he he does that bones line right, channeling well, bones. He he's he's trying he's trying to heal Captain Amelia, and he says like, "Dang it, Jim, I'm not a doctor." Well, I am a doctor, but it's not that sort of doctor. Yeah, I remember that now. Like he was he was he was doing a Bones McCoy type impression. Yeah. Oh my. All gosh. the way all the way down to the dang it, Jim, instead of a damn it, Jim. Like, dang it, Jim. <laughs> yep. Oh my yep. gosh. Yep. Uh, I I just I just think he plays that type of of awkward intel, intelligent character so well. I mean, it's the, almost the like the bumbling professor. It's almost like Niles Crane in animated format if we're being yes. totally honest. Pretty much. Pretty much. Like like that was oh my gosh. His his banter with Captain Amelia at the beginning of their voyage was 
was really pretty fun. And also, I'm just tossing trivia out here right now because there's so much interesting trivia about this movie from the cast to uh, the potential castmates. I'm going to get to that a little bit, talking about the people that were like close but not quite. They almost got cast but didn't. Um, but while we're talking about the ship, did y'all notice anything special about the ship itself that they were going on this treasure hunt with? I know that this is – I mean this could be what you're talking about, but it's uh, it's called the RLS Legacy, which yes. stands for Robert Louis Stevenson, the author yes. of Treasure Island. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes, exactly. There's, I've always loved that. There she is, Jim, the RLS legacy. This literally is Robert Louis Stevenson's legacy, that there are so many films being made after the book Treasure Island. Like, oh, yeah. we were talking about this during the pre-show. There is a, a 1950 version that was made by Disney. There is the Muppet version that was produced by Disney. There's Treasure Planet. There is a Wishbone episode yep. about Treasure Island where a, a Jack Russell Terrier plays Jim Hawkins. Like, there are so many iterations of this story. And Treasure Planet is a part of RLS's legacy. I thought that was so fitting. That's really cool. That's really cool. And it's just a beautiful ship, too. Like, the idea of being able to sail the stars it's it there, there's there's other precedents for this because in attack of the clones we also get a solar sailor that yeah. who flies in so it's it's not like it, which is interesting because attack of the clones came out in 2002 as well didn't i it? was gonna say 2002 is the year of the solar sail uh, it's, oh my gosh you're right <laughs> I was, somebody, I was, somebody was reading somebody's notes <laughs> And yeah, that's interesting because I I heard Solar Sail. I'm like, oh, okay, so you know, basically similar concept, you know, yep. between Count Dooku's ship, but like same freaking year. That's yeah. cool. But I I love the whole like, even though this movie is very sci-fi in a way, it's very steampunk. I like the fact that it it just it doesn't take like all the physics of space so seriously. Like it completely right. reimagines what space is. The fact that with the these giant ships and they go off generators so that and they go off into space and there's apparently there's there's breathable air in space and stuff like that you can just like ride along with comets without being burned up but you you have to make sure that you're riding the waves like a surfer dude when you're almost about to collapse into a black hole yeah i mean basically it's like take the physics of being on the water and apply it to space which is i mean it's it's silly but if you can suspend your disbelief and just kind of accept the world as it is it's kind of fun like it's it's just a really fun concept and that's that's so the black hole is basically a whirlpool then yeah or something like that you know something very similar to that and and I don't know. Like, I've always loved the world building of this movie and just like all of the different like Montressor spaceport, how it looks like a crescent moon from a distance. But as you get closer, that shot and you can see the buildings come into focus and all the ships. And it's like, I want to go there out of Star Wars. It reminded me of like a miniaturized Coruscant almost. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just I don't know. Ideas like that are just really fun. And another thing, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but the map, the little golden ball and how he can just open it. And it's this 
big hologram of of you know the known universe basically and it's just it, i've always loved that that's also from attack of the clones doesn't obi-wan use one of those when he's talking to yoda oh when he's in the padawan training room yeah he yeah. has a little marble that he puts in the hollow projector and marble. he projects yeah. the thing All of a sudden, the room just turns into a giant map of the known universe yep yep <laughs> Yeah. Wow! There I should be a lawsuit have... here somewhere. It reminds I, I, me a lot of Star Wars. <laughs> it's. I'm telling you, though, I'm, if we find any more Star Wars connections here, we're gonna have to call George Lucas. Yeah. Um. So I'm sure Lucas has already called Disney, but it doesn't matter because Disney bought them anyways. So it's all one big universe now, anyways. Uh. <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that I really enjoy about this movie is I've always loved the imagination and adventure surrounding treasure island just like the old idea of going out on a treasure hunt x marks the spot pirates and the high seas and mystery and intrigue and a young boy going on an adventure like that story in and of itself is exciting enough but then you take that concept and you turn it on its head and you put it in space you put yes. it you put it in outer space and you've got robots and cyborgs and pirates of a different nature and and aliens you know other creatures that have you know claws and rocks for faces and multiple eyes and stuff like that like it, it's very like i mean i'm sure you mentioned this or yeah i don't know if you said this exact thing but it's it's basically like you know treasure island mashed up with star wars and i mean more or less to a degree i mean i see i see a lot of of star wars i see a lot of of the steampunk element like you said ben i see a lot of pop culture just blending into this Mm -hmm. not not to mention combining all of those elements and giving us some pretty spectacular visuals along the way too. It, it definitely is more Star Wars space. It's definitely more space fantasy, uh, such as like Star Wars, as opposed to science fiction. Because yes. Star Wars, even though people gripe and complain about physics about it, Star Wars has always played fast and loose with the physics and the true nature of space. This movie just takes that and runs with it and goes, okay, we're yeah. not we're not subscribing to any like actual like science fiction logic here. It's just pure fantasy. It's taking you know that classic story and putting it literally in space, but just having some of the similar mechanics. The fact that you're just sailing off into space and you know they're pulling away, and then they have to oh turn on that gravity generators and. They, they all plop back down like stuff like that it really plays into the kind of whimsicalness of it and it, yeah. it makes it more fun because if it was this hard edge sci-fi it wouldn't be this movie right yeah with right. with the space physics in this it's like taking it, it's like looking at star wars and they're hearing explosions and sounds in space and saying hold my beer right exactly <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong but i think i also enjoyed some of the of the quips and the banter that comes along with using, you know, sailor talk and pirate lingo out in space, you know, yeah, yeah. like, like you, you've got certain course headings and stuff that you have to have, 
that's very similar to the type of, of naval course headings that you would have on the water. Like they're pretty similar to each other when you really think about it, which mm-hmm. is why shows like Star Trek have always used um, naval ranks for their fleet. You know, you, you've yeah. got you've got ensigns and you've got lieutenants and captains, admirals and um, people like that. Like the, the, the type of, of ranks that you have in Starfleet are similar to the type of ranks that you would have on the on the open seas and so like there there are certain components of of space and ocean that have always been fairly similar in nature except now you're literally putting pirate ships in space none of this u.s prize millennium falcon sleek iconic design crap no we're going full-blown this is a whole ass ship with whole ass sails that's just magically collecting energy from the sun now and instead of you know using actual hyperdrive we're just going to engage the light speed propeller that's on the butt of this ship and that's going to take us from point a to point b exactly well i think it would have been really fun to be part of the creative team for this movie who had to like sit down and kind of figure out like how do we adapt a story like treasure island into this kind of space adventure and still maintain that you know have futuristic elements have high-tech elements but also maintain the spirit of the story and you know a discussion had to be had of like do we have kind of spaceships or do we have more traditional looking ships that are just outfitted for space and and you know do we have pirates and and what i mean how how far do we go with this and i think i i think they came up with a really good balance yeah i like the the extrapolations they do on certain things and taking like certain elements that you're familiar with from like pirate movies like that instead of you know captain silver instead of having a a parrot he has a morph blob <laughs> he, had, he has this little blob that kind of turns into whatever instead of parroting you know whatever he says he's he's becoming anything and that's a huge part of the movie and then you have his 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 his, his cyborg parts and you have his like what would normally be a hook hand becomes this like swiss army knife of things that can become right. a gun or a knife or whatever and that's the and, whole dynamic and, and he's dead. so like rubbery and he, he he's so huge and he can kind of morph into different things even himself and be a lot of different things and adds a whole so much to the movie and the dynamics well which I'm... and instead of having a missing leg he's got a bionic leg which it makes him a little more agile than the original Long John Silver was because he was always hopping around on one leg with like a cane, whereas this Silver is a, a little bit more mobile, if right. you will. In anything I've ever seen, this version of Long John Silver has always been my favorite Long John Silver. Okay, and- I'm- I'm going to have to disagree with you there because... Uh, well, let me guess. You're going to say Tim Curry? Tim Curry, man. Come on. He's good. He's good. But I think this one just has more depth. This one has... I mean, yes, he's some weird bulldog alien thing who's also a cyborg. But I think, funnily enough, he's the most human. And there's just so many, so many scenes in this movie between him and Jim or... 
um, you know, him and other characters where you see that humanity and it's it's really heartwarming and he's actually like a villain with some dimension. And I mean, it, does he stay a villain? Does he you know, I mean, you, you aren't ever quite sure of him, but you are sure by the end kind of where he stands and he he's like a villain you root for, you know? Yeah, I, I like his whole thing about you know you you know something's not right about him from the get-go yeah but you want to like him and you you and 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 you're you're very much in jim's camp jim is immediately suspicious of him and is told straight up like beware of cyborgs like you've told this guy's bad news beware the cyborg but he's he's given this whole thing and has a special relationship, and you really get that with that one montage, and it totally sells. Like this is the father and Jim never had. Like this yes. is this thing, and y- there's no denying that Silver cares about Jim, and they both care about each other, which puts that all into jeopardy very quickly. And and in that one scene where he's hiding in the barrel, and you're and you know, like I think like Silver, you you trust Silver. You're like. I know he cares about this kid, but he's telling all these guys, oh, I didn't care about that kid. I was just stringing him along for whatever. And you feel bad because you're like, oh, we know he's lying. And it's so tragic, and that whole dynamic is great. Yeah. Well, and that was that was always a component of the Treasure Island story. And it was it was just interesting to see how they brought it about because it's almost like you know – that you have to have a scene where Jim is hiding in the barrel and somebody's going for an apple and you know all of that kind of needs to transpire to be a part of the Treasure Island story but the added dynamic of not just discussing the mutiny but also discussing Jim like you said kind of further deepens the relationship between the two of them because now it's a little bit more personal it's not just yeah. staging a coup. It's not just committing mutiny. It's now you've been toying with my feelings. You're not my real dad, kind of thing, too. Right. right. Exactly. It just seems like there were so there's so many ways you could do this story, and like I just feel like at every turn they're doing it in real ways that aren't super cliche and just like i don't know i think the writing is really strong with the movie and just the conflict is well handled and i i don't know i just think they do a really good job that's why this i think it's my favorite version of the treasure island stories because all the different character dynamics that you get in this but mainly the one between john silver and and Jim are just like you, you feel and understand their angles and why they do what they do. I I do like their relationship. There are a few relationships that I'm not completely sold on like Doppler and Amelia, but sure. That, sure. That, that's a, that's a different conversation. My only concern, my only, I don't know if this would be a contention or what, but um, the music selection for this film was more about like other people's music instead of like creating something that you can almost sing along to, which is something that apparently Disney didn't really want to do in the early two thousands. Cause like they did it with Tarzan around 99 or 2000. And then for the next few years it was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Whereas, um, Muppet treasure Island, has entire musical scores 
Like there's yeah, great there, music score. There, there's there's entire songs about being on the open ocean and being a, a gentleman of fortune and getting cabin fever and I've all, got cabin fever. I've got it too. <laughs> and and using the Muppet characters the way that they did, like we could probably do an episode about Muppet Treasure Island. We probably should. Do oh yeah, about Muppet Treasure Island. Muppet but, Month. Yes, I'm I'm down. We could do like Muppets Take Manhattan and the Muppet movie and Muppet Treasure Muppet Island. Paper. Uh, Muppets from Space. Oh that, yes. That one was stupid, but it gives God. I remember seeing that one in theaters. I don't remember actually watching the movie. I just remember sitting down to it. It's been so long. I remember the bear asks Gonzo if he wants jalapenos, and then never. <laughs> Whenever I'm getting jalapenos, I say it in the same voice as the bear, and I'm like, jalapenos, jalapenos. <laughs> jalapenos, jalapenos. <laughs> and then Je- Jeffrey Tambor's the bad guy in there. Jeffrey Tambor's a bad guy, and Hulk Hogan makes an appearance. I was just going to say, there's a random Hulk Hogan cameo. Very random Hulk Hogan appearance. I think Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in it as well as a TV reporter. Uh, uh, that... Oh, no, I think that's Andy McDowell. Is it Andy McDowell? Yeah, they look very similar, but yeah, oh. I think that's Andy McDowell. Oh, wow, that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to double check, but I think I need, I need to watch that movie again then. Yeah, that's that's got great music too because they play Celebration by Cool and the Gang and they play Brick House by the Commodores. So, yes. so yeah, we need to discuss some Muppet movies because, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's not like there's going to be any other movies we get to talk about, any new movies this year, so may as well just indulge ourselves. Well, if you if you want to visit an alternate timeline, may I suggest the delayed replay podcast? I have heard about this, and I, I might even be making an appearance myself in the yes. coming future. I, so, I, yeah. I I had the fortunate opportunity to jump into a parallel universe with our friend Stephen Schinder and discuss um, the New Mutant movie in this parallel universe where we didn't have COVID and all of these movies did actually release – and uh, I discussed New Mutants, and he's also discussed the likes of uh, Mulan and Black Widow and all kinds of other movies that uh, in the other universe they actually did release on time. So, Speaking of parallel universes, Stephen, what the heck is with my Facebook feed lately and all this disgusting food that you keep posting? Because <laughs> I am trying to figure out what parallel universe I'm in where you think that's okay. He does this thing where he goes to this page called Things That Are Not Aesthetic. <laughs> and he just shares the crap out of stuff. Like this kid that was supposed to pose for a school picture and the team is like the Eagles or something. And they had like this poster board of wings and you're supposed to stand in between the wings. And the kid stands in the middle of the right wing instead of standing in between the two wings. And I'm sitting there going, slide two feet to the left, damn it! Yeah. Just so many. I mean, this stuff is entertaining for sure. So many things that are not aesthetic, but... <laughs> like, he has he has a pineapple, like a, a, a person holding a full pineapple and laying across the pineapple is just a slice of pizza. That's like, Blasphemy. would you rather have... <laughs> And then he has a pizza on here that's egg, bananas, fish, and bacon pizza. Oh, and then it says, follow me for more great recipes. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. Okay, so talking about recipes, 
there were some pretty interesting recipes that John Silver had at the beginning of this film. <laughs> like some of the some of the meals that they had at the Admiral Benbow, and then some of the stuff that John Silver was serving on the ship. You're sitting there going, "Oh my, I don't know if I if I really want this." Um, but I think I saw a piece of um, a piece of trivia that talks about Doctor Doppler. Mm-hmm. Here it is. He's a dog-like alien, and at the Admiral Benbow, he's described to be eating a meal of Alponian chowder. Alponian Al- chowder. Alpo is a brand of dog food. Oh, I can't believe I didn't get that. Oh. I am insulted. <laughs> I am insulted oh, with that pun. Isn't he served, like, the dish he served in looks like a dog bowl? Kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's that's totally on point. Get it, guys? Because he's a dog. Because <laughs> he's a dog. Oh, man. Okay, while we're talking about character designs, did anybody else think that Captain Amelia looked like a freaking boffin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can You're see that. You're right. And we don't have a canon boffin yet, so, uh, yeah. Oh, so she, she, she's a boffin. <sighs> like, I'm just, I'm just going to do, like, a Google search for boffin and hit images and uh yeah if you did like a if you did like a side by side captain amelia would kind of look like what uh what a boffin from star wars looks like i'm typing in boffin sexy I, oh uh, don't do that don't don't do that why? I, mistakes were made oh. never mind oh 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 what, what am i missing abort abort oh Oh, we're not the, missing anything. Never mind. Like, I didn't say like, anything. Like, go back. Go back. Go back. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go. What, what is happening? Mondo's not even here, and we're getting naughty. Amelia Boston. Let me see if that does anything. Uh, Amelia Treasure. Planet. Let's float a theory here. I mean, what if? What it, it, could Treasure Planet be in the Star Wars universe? Could be. Have I mean, there's nothing seen... saying. I mean, we've seen weirder ships in Star Wars than that. There has maybe to be some, articles. Maybe this. Maybe it's in some kind of weird nebula where there's breathable air. There you go. It would. It would. It would have to be. It would have it's to possible. be possible. I mean, it's definitely not impossible. That's that's the that's the tough part. It's like, it's it's like that old adage of, um, I'm not saying I'm Batman, but you've also never seen me and Batman in the same room before. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So I'm not saying that it's not in the Star Wars universe. I'm just saying you've never seen that ship in a Star Wars movie before. There you go. We figured it out. We cracked the code. Sure we did. Sure. I mean, and look, this movie came out the same year as Attack of the Clones. It's got clear Star Wars references in it. Um, are we going to basically just confirm that George Lucas and Disney were conspiring to make the, make these two movies in the same universe? Treasure Planet was a backdoor pilot for a Star Wars movie. Or yep. Star Wars TV show. <laughs> oh, boy. Rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, we're going, we're going down the, the really, really okay. Um, fan, had you seen this movie before? Never. So this was your first time watching it again. <laughs> Please tell me you've seen the Emperor's New Groove. 
Nope. Oh my god, this is like a whole story arc of Ben watching Disney for the first time. I mean, that's basically what it is. That's that's that's, that's it exactly because that's I, the this is all. That's that's the whole shebang here oh is that gosh. you are guiding me through. I, honestly, I kind of want to watch Emperor's New Groove with you. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, you, you've got a week. Like, well, I kind hey, of, how about like, we meet? I, how about we meet in Orange, Texas, or something? We'll just drive to a place and we'll just watch it in our cars. Oh, oh I wish I could go. Oh my gosh! Don't tempt me like that. Are you going on a road trip or something? I mean, maybe. I'm not. I'm not going to rule anything out. Uh, I'll meet you. I'll meet you in New Orleans. How about that? Ooh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Well, that's an easy trip for me. I'm. I'm game. Uh, okay. Um, Shreveport then. How about that? <laughs> that keep going. That, that, <laughs> does that does that make you drive further? Okay. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. We'll talk Any... about it after the after show. <laughs> Off air. Off air. What were your first impressions of this movie then? This being your first time watching it. Well, you know, as I said, we'd have some interesting opinions about these movies. I think I I had an interesting opinion about this movie. And despite the cast, despite the incredible animation, I think I completely understand why this movie flopped. Because this movie sucks, man. It is literally the worst Disney film I've ever seen. And it's oh absolute God. garbage. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. You're you, terrible at sarcasm, dude. You almost had me. Uh, I've been planning that for a while. It, it would have, it would have, I could have sold it better if I hadn't been bragging on it for the past half hour. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, you set me up for failure. Um, this is my favorite out of all the three we've, we've watched so far. And wow. it could be one of my favorite, you know, Disney films, period. Um, I think probably because it's kind of scratching the space fantasy itch, as I said, a lot of parallels to Star Wars. So obviously it's going to get me in that department, but it just really, it's a solid movie. It's a really, I completely understand like where people are coming from loving this movie and considering that this, you know, cult classic because it's just a solid movie. As I said, I'm not really familiar with the whole, you know, Treasure Island angle of it i hadn't seen any of those movies i've never seen another adaption of that so this is kind of all brand new to me um and it's just a lot of fun it's it's i love the character dynamics i think it was really strong i think there's a lot of great performances um i think when it comes to like leading men i would definitely give the edge to atlantis for having Marty McFly in the lead role like no no disrespect to Joseph Gordon-Levitt but I don't think he's as charismatic as um Michael J Fox but he still carries this movie quite a bit and I, and the supporting cast is amazing and the as I said the visuals which pretty much doomed this movie um are what sells it and just it's it's a beautiful film it's it's and it's a great great story that they taking a really a timeless story and turning it into something that's completely different. Um, and the messages and all this kind of stuff, it's, just, it's, just the, it's classic Disney. And yeah. contrary to what I said about five minutes ago, I don't know why this movie flopped. Like, it's great. It seems like right up that, un- unlike Atlantis, which I kind of got, I kind of understand, okay, all these variables add up to maybe this, this could have added up to a flop for them. Treasure Planet, I don't get it. I don't get this feels like a movie 
that's right up anybody's alley that would have been enjoyed by anyone, especially a Disney fan. And it just didn't. I don't know why. I think, you know, obviously the budget was huge, but that still doesn't make a lot of sense when it comes to why didn't people like this movie at the time. Um, so, yeah, I love this movie. I genuinely, I just knocked my drink over. Uh, so you guys take over. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jake, bring us through the, the childhood of Jake Damon and the association with Treasure Planet. Did you basically grow up on this movie? Yeah, I like I can't remember if I actually saw it in theaters or not, but I do remember getting the VHS. I do remember getting the DVD when that came out. I remember uh some like some of the Happy Meal toys I got and it just kind of captured my imagination. And I mean, I was I was watching these movies the same time I was watching Star Wars and just really into the whole sci-fi fantasy scene and this kind of fit right into that and it was just one of those movies we watched on repeat and um i re- i distinctly remember like when we'd go outside to play or whatever i i had like this board and i mean it's so silly to think about it now but like i loved that scene where he's solar surfing and i just i i wanted to do that so bad and i was like trying to think of ways to build something like that i'm like this has to be possible somehow and so i'm like collecting a board and like a pole and i'm trying to like construct something like it and of course it never worked but it was fun to pretend for sure and uh i don't know it was just one of those movies that sparked my imagination and like I feel like that's one of those movies where I watch it and every every subsequent watch, I find something uh, new story wise that I appreciate about it. And like uh, a, a design choice or a story choice or something where I'm like, that really helped this movie a lot. And I just feel like I appreciate it more and more. And and uh, I don't know, it's it's one of those movies that's definitely a, a part of me, kind of, you know, on a on a on a deeper level than a lot of other movies. Well, I, I get what you mean about having certain movies on repeat. It's just unfortunate in my case, The Treasure Planet, not one of those movies that was put on repeat. Instead, yeah. in my household, we put movies along the lines of The Wild and Home on the Range on repeat. <laughs> you poor Ooh. child. I'm so sorry. Do you, have you have either of you guys seen Home on the Range? I have, and that was the first. I think that was the first time I ever like consciously thought maybe Disney can make a bad movie. Yes. Yeah, I've heard enough about Home on the Range from you to go. Um, no, thank you. Yeah. The villain is literally a yodeling cattle rustler. Yeah. Who wants to see that? Not Apparently me. my brother to the, I mean, like 300 times. I, I, I mean, it, I'll just say it's not for everybody. I understand why some people could like it, like your brother. Um, and that's fine. It's just, it's like, I don't know. It's just, it wasn't for me, I guess. It was definitely not for me, unfortunately. So now I'm making up for lost time by watching movies like treasure planet instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think the, just the story of it was just kind of weird. Whereas Treasure Planet is like a timeless tale. You know, it, it's one of those that, like we mentioned earlier, you're you're taking a classic story like what Robert Louis Stevenson made and turning it into something more 
relevant and timely. And, mm. uh, you know, I think I think part of the problem and this is going to sound cliche, but I think part of the problem was that Treasure Planet was a little ahead of its time. Yeah, That's, maybe that, there's a case to be made there for sure. I, I would I would contend that if this movie came out a few years later, after the success of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, yeah, this would be a whole different story. Now, if they, you know, if they did wait until the Pirates of the Caribbean movies started coming out, do you think they would have gone the direction of like having it be a space thing, or would they have just kind of done a more modern take on a classic pirate? I mean, not, you know what I mean. Like Pirates of the Caribbean is just pirates basically it's would they have done something pirates. similar yes. yes but i i think i think if you had held off until like even 2006 yeah you, you would have had revenge of the sith out by then and people would still be on like a space star wars type of high yeah that's true and you would have had at least two pirates of the caribbean films out by then so mm. Disney would have had the success of a couple of pirate films and fans would have experienced a couple of Star Wars films by that point. And you're sure. blending you're blending the space and the sci-fi with the with the high seas and throwing in a little bit of a steampunk vibe in there. Like I really don't think steampunk took off until like what, two thousand eight, two thousand ten? Yeah. Like it took a while for steampunk to become popular. And if they had held off until like oh six oh seven when steampunk was just getting started, they would have been hitting all three of those key elements and hitting three different audiences. Whereas with the 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 release that they did, it was literally competing with the Harry Potter franchise. It came out the same year as Attack of the Clones, mm. and it came out a year before captain jack sparrow hit the scenes right yeah so i i feel like the timing of it was part of the issue i think if you've got a little bit more space momentum you got a little more interest in pirates from other franchises then people would be more intrigued by having pirates in space mm -hmm. yeah and i i i i have no knowledge or information to back this up but i just get the feeling that Pirates of the Caribbean really brought the idea of pirates and pirate stories back into the cultural zeitgeist yes. yeah. for the first time in a very long time. Because think about yes. it. What other pirate franchise do you know of even today? Like, that's not a thing. Pirates no. of the Caribbean brought that idea back, and, and something that was you know back in the 1950s maybe was a huge thing when the first uh, Treasure Island came about. But, like... Now it's not as big of a thing except for Pirates of the Caribbean. And you're thinking prior to Pirates, like you had the ride. You had Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean, the ride. That was it. I feel like if this movie had come on, like you said, like in 2006, you know, it may have gone over better because people were – kids were getting into Pirates. They had grown up with Pirates of the Caribbean, whereas kids going into this weren't familiar with the concept, weren't into Pirates. Like, And it's funny – the whole idea of this movie is starting with a kid who is fascinated with pirates. Who is right. he's in the first opening scene, which is is, is fantastic, oh, is yeah. him reading a storybook and he's fascinated by it and he's 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 like 
part of the audience witnessing this stuff and then grows up to be one. But, you know, I, I love that whole idea of, you know, kind of being this juxtaposition between the audience, but that maybe didn't exist at the time. Maybe it, this film, not just with the technology that went into making it, but also when it came out, the type of story it was trying to tell may have been ahead of its time. Yeah, that's possible. I would think so. While we're on the subject of Pirates of the Caribbean, did you know that there was a Pirates of the Caribbean cameo slash reference in Treasure Planet? Really? I didn't catch it. Um, Ben, the robot, as he's um, walking down the one of the hallways, one of the passageways on the legacy towards the tail end of the film, you can hear him singing a pirate's life for me. <laughs> I did catch that. I love it. I love it. That's, okay. That's actually, that's actually from the ride. Yeah. Wow. I think they fixed it into the movie at some point, but yes, that's, that's definitely, yes, definitely they... a huge part of the ride because, and then Jack at the end of the ride is, is, is singing it too. So it's, it's a big thing, but yeah. Can we talk about Ben for just a minute? Oh, yeah. Uh, of course you... Ben every week. We talk about... I know, I know. I mean, I'm such an interesting person to talk about, but it's not about me this time, all right? I want to talk about another Ben. I I do not dislike this character, really, at all. But I totally see him as just the stereotypical, let's throw in a goofy character in the third act, because it's a Disney yeah. movie. And he really doesn't have a whole lot to do. And Martin Short is great, but he's definitely down on the totem pole of, like, wacky side characters for Disney. I don't know what you guys thought of him, but that just popped in my head. I mean, more or less, he's kind of that in the Treasure Island story, as far as I remember. Yes. Um, Which... That's where so, I get a, I give it a pass because it's like I mean if you're staying true to the story, fine. Oh, so Captain Flint had a crew that in in Robert Louis Stevenson's book, Captain Flint had a crew that he took with him to go and and bury the the, the treasure. Yeah, and a lot of the crew that came aboard he shot and killed so that nobody would be able to reveal the hidden location but he couldn't track down benjamin gunn Mm -hmm. and decided to just leave him there because he's like well if he's marooned then he can't tell anybody and so uh ben gunn the character from the book ended up getting left on the island for decades like 20 years or something crazy right and he went completely crazy and was um, certifiably insane and also obsessed with cheese because there was no <laughs> cheese on that island. <laughs> oh, my but, gosh. I mean, that's kind of clever, though, the way the movie did it was because it, like, happened so long ago and and his, like, chip or whatever in his head was taken out. So he's just kind of off. And I thought that was clever. I, I I think the characterization is good. I think it's funny, and I think he's genuinely, like, a fun character. But if you, like, pay attention and look at, like, okay, take Ben out of the equation. How does how does the story go? It doesn't change. <laughs> he's right. Just, he's just there. I mean, more or less, he's, like, 
it's like oh his house is the entrance to the secret tunnel and right. he ends up being the you know the person who says where the treasure is which i mean right. i guess you could argue is pretty important but other than that is like not much you know besides well a few... and, and maybe and maybe the the criticism any criticism you can throw at ben could be thrown at the original character you know right like, you know and you're talking about a you know probably 100 100 or more year old story at this point you know yeah it's it's you know they're they're doing the best they could back in the day he was pretty innovative they were on the cusp so yeah give him a break yeah i mean i i also feel like this kind of gives this movie two main comic relief with reliefs with dr doppler and ben you know and do you need to i don't know because it's like i like both of them but is it over the top Okay, so before the show we were talking about – I think it was before the show. I, all this is blending together. But that maybe instead of Martin Short, we could have gotten Robin Williams in this yeah. role. And I kind of made the point that like, okay, probably he didn't because he'd already done Aladdin as the genie and also Disney and, and Robin Williams are not getting along back in this era. Um Zach, you mentioned earlier something about some alternate casting rumors. Did you did you go over those? I I didn't. I mean, I, I I may have teased a couple of them while you were tending to something else, but I have those here that I can. Well, don't tease us. Lay it on us. No, I'm not. I'm not going to tease any longer. Give me a second here. Um, for the role of uh, Captain Amelia, we uh, we could have. I'm not saying that we did. Because obviously that role went to Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. but for that role they were also considering Angelina Jolie and Penelope Cruz. Interesting. Interesting. I could see both of those. The role of Mister Scroop, the throaty-voiced uh, crab villain. Cubbin boy. Oh my gosh, that voice gave me nightmares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that voice. That is one of the creepiest voices ever. Um, Mr. Scroop was played by Michael Wincott, but he was considered for by Ted Danson. Oh. And Burt From Reynolds. the world? Burt Reynolds, huh? Ted Danson, though, if you got Ted Danson in there, he's technically part of that Frasier family. Yeah. Because he was uh, uh, Sam on Cheers, and Frasier is a spinoff. Did he ever appear on Frasier? Yes, he did. Yeah, Yeah, he did. Figured as much. Yeah, he did. Ted Danson's everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Good Place. I like him on The Good Place, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What the Uh, fork? let Let me see. Mr. Arrow. (laughs) <laughs> this one's going to be interesting because I don't get me wrong. I really, really like Roscoe Lee Brown as Mr. Arrow, but listen to some of the people that were considered for the role. James Earl Jones. Oh my God. Yeah. I would have liked that too. Patrick Stewart. Oh man. Wow. <laughs> that fits. Ian McKellen. What? Wow. And what? here's the real kicker. Irvin Magic Johnson. What? Magic Johnson? The Magic Johnson? The Magic Johnson. Whoa. Whoa. 
all considered for the role of Mr. Arrow. Wow, That's so Roscoe awesome. Lee Brown lucked out uh, with that for role. the role. Of, yeah, for the for the role of Ben, they could have cast Mike Myers. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. AKA Shrek. Shrek himself. Eric Bana was also considered. Eric Bana. Yeah, wow. Interesting. As yeah. was Vince Vaughn. Chris Rock. Okay, I can see that too. Nathan Lane. Okay, mm-hmm. alright. And Gilbert Gottfried. Oh my god. Yeah, that Gilbert Gottfried I could totally see. <laughs> I would. I just, I what? have such a hard time like hearing his voice coming out of anything other than a bird, I think. Did I have a dance with an android named Lupe? <laughs> But that would be, you know, another, like, uh, you know, Disney alum, you know, for, especially yep. from Aladdin. So I guess, I guess that just goes to prove that they weren't they weren't uh, against reusing some actors. Well, yeah. hey, Nathan Lane was the voice of Timon on The Lion King. There you go. So, and then for the role of Jim Hawkins. Other people that were considered include Alex Winter. Okay. Mm-hmm. James Franco. Oh, wow. Interesting. And, and this is the one that really gets me. Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon? Wow. He would have been doing, what, SNL, right? He, yeah, yeah, that was that's, early in his career. That's early SNL 2002 Jimmy Fallon. Wow. wow. That's crazy. So that's all of the what could have been, and yet this movie still turned out pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sad with the voices they chose. Oh no, not in not in not in the slightest. No, but. I think JG JGL is is really good, and he was again ahead of his time here because this was, you know, I think he was a child actor previously, but like he wasn't a huge name. I don't think at this point. Mm-hmm. Nah, he was still pretty young, but very young. I I it was it was it was his first voice acting role but I don't think it was his last. I think he's done other voice acting stuff since then. Yeah. 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 He well he was in The Last Jedi. Was as he really? Wow. The angry the guy that was angry about Rose and Finn parking on the beach. Oh wow. I, I told those two. I told this is a public beach they're not supposed to park there. <laughs> Sounds like a never mind. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going down that road. I'm not going to go down that don't, road. Don't, don't. I knew I should have never mentioned Last Jedi. It'll no, tear this pro- not, podcast it's not, apart. It's not, it's well, not, speaking not, of the Last Jedi. It's just a voice. That voice reminds me of something else, but I'm not I'm not going to go down that well, road. Well, I think I think Ryan Johnson and JGL are good buddies. So, uh, hey, we could see him show up back in Star Wars if Ryan Johnson gets his Star Wars trilogy eventually. Who knows? That's a big eventually. That's like four or five years down the road eventually. I, uh, the, the latest prediction is like 20, tw- uh, 2026 or something. Jeez. Are, are we sure that's still happening? Uh, but the latest report says yes. Whew. Latest okay. report could be wrong, well, though. We shall see. We shall see. Who knows? Well, I think this is a good place to take a short break, and then when we come back we'll discuss – uh, the worst and best moments of this film. Hopefully we'll be able to come across several different sequences over the course of the movie since we didn't discuss it uh, in its chronology like we do sometimes. 
Uh, and we'll also go into final thoughts and planet scores and quotes and all that and more still to come as we get ready to wrap up our discussion of Treasure Planet. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. IPC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IPC sent you. We're back with more IPC podcast. A huge shout out to the people that financially contribute to the program. People like Joey and Jake, Rachel and Dan, Parker and Carrie. You all help keep the lights on, if you will. And if you're interested in becoming a financial contributor to the program, just check us out at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There is a uh, patron button over there that tells you about all the different levels that we've got. It only goes up to like five bucks a month. So that's like one less Starbucks per month to help support your local podcast. And uh, we've got some new content on the way, including the first rebooted episode of RIPC, courtesy of uh, the Phantom Empire team helping us out, uh, bringing that show back to life. We're going to be discussing The Dark Knight Rises pretty soon after our most recent discussion of The Dark Knight, and we've got a lot of other stuff on tap there. We've also got our Peacekeeper core chat. We've got our 
uh, top five sponsorship uh, level where you basically get to tell us what top five you want us to talk about, and then you get top billing uh, for every top five that you send us a list for. Uh, we've got access to our entire database. If you want to be able to listen to the entire library of IPC, you can do that and so much more just by visiting ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Yep, yep. All right, let's talk about the worst moment of this movie, if there was one. Um, I have heard a lot of opinions that this movie is very slow, and it starts out kind of pathetic. It's It starts out very very slow and puny and, and hard to understand the characters and the character development. Um, I've also heard that there are um, a couple of scenes in the middle that they really could have done without, uh, particularly the really long drawn out adventure with, uh, with Jim and Silver on the little sail barge going through stuff. It felt like it was just like a, a glamour shot rather than something that actually meant something to the story. Again, this is stuff that I've gotten from other people, not necessarily how I feel. But guys, I'm curious, if you had to pick a worst moment of this movie, what do you think your choice would be? I think for me, like, it's not one particular moment, but just just the whole, like, Dr. Doppler and the Captain romance angle just seemed kind of unnecessary and... Just the whole thing with them having kids at the end that are like either dogs or cats. And it's like, oh, you get it, guys. They they got married and fell in love because they're cats and dogs, you know. And okay. that so, it, was, it was just kind of stupid. Also, 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 I read this in the trivia section as well. Disney had to tell the, the movie to delete a couple of lines from the end of this movie that ended up revealing Doppler was the one who gave birth to them. Okay, Wait, what? that's Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently there are some deleted lines that would have revealed that um that yes, they had children together, but it wasn't Amelia that gave birth to them. Well, wow. that's um interesting. Interesting. <laughs> interesting to say the least. Their their contention was that because it was a couple of aliens that they'd be able to get away with the whole um, non-binary angle of things and not having to be the females that give birth, maybe like a seahorse type of scenario. I don't know. Uh, I don't well, know. yeah, and, and there's the whole, I mean, progressive angle to it also. Yeah. And, and just the fact of like, you've heard the whole, the, the fact that kind of uh, ruins Finding Nemo is the fact that clownfish can willingly change their gender. So, yeah. like, Marlon in Finding Nemo, if she died, then he would have just changed his gender to take care of Nemo. Wow. <laughs> it would have become a female. Um, so, like, that whole thing about, the you know, that, that gender is kind of weird with uh, – we're, we're, it's a very much a, a strict construct for humans, but it's not so for animals. I guess maybe that's trying to what they were trying to get, that, get, get at with that. And aliens and whatever else. But... And you can imagine having all the aliens in the universe that it would be a little right. weird. Right, but imagine being Disney in 2002, trying to... Put... And trying to sell this to very conservative audiences who right. are mm-hmm. of that human state of mind of there's boys and there's girls, and girls do one thing, and boys do one thing. Another right. example of this movie being ahead of its time. 
if it yeah. was released in a different year, a little further down the line, there might be a little bit more of a receptive audience to something like that. Yeah. Chances so are if they, people they aren't going to go just... see Harry Potter, they're probably not going to want to see that. Look, look, here's the thing. Disney, they just screwed up. They could have easily just made this movie in 2002 and not released it and just hung on to it. And then in the summer of 2020, when there's no other movies, just put it on Disney+. Plus. It would have mm-hmm. been a huge hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would have gotten all the press. Oh, guys, what if we made this movie and then didn't do anything with it for 18 years just in case there's a global pandemic and we need to put it on our streaming site? <laughs> yeah, don't you know, though, that someone at Disney was like, hey, uh, Bob, do we have any movies that are just lying around back there that we haven't released yet? Um, no, not Song of the South, something else. <laughs> <laughs> The sentence, not Song of the South, has probably been uttered more times than we care to admit on the business side of things. Oh, I probably shouldn't even said that joke because that's very not timely. (laughs) Very bad. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Not going down that road. Um, If I had to pick, like, a, a worst moment, I think it would probably be the sequence with Billy Bones. Because I I love the character Billy Bones, and and what he represents as far as being the catalyst for Jim's adventure, and I feel like he needed a little more exposition than he got. I feel like him just crash landing outside of the Benbow and then dying a few minutes later was kind of a disservice to his character and and who he serves to be as far as as being somebody that inspires Jim to be more adventurous. Like, basically, according to this movie, Jim's already adventurous, and all he needed was one tiny little push to get him out the door. But in Treasure Island and in Muppet Treasure Island and whatever else, Billy Bones is around Jim for a while and tells stories of his adventures on the high seas and basically builds that type of relationship with them that... that lets Jim trust him enough to, you know, take that map and do something with it. This is just like a handoff. It's like, oh, I'm crash landing. Oh, I'm dying. Oh, here, take my map that I've been holding on to for years. I don't know you from Jiminy Bill Bob, but here, take it and go. I I do feel like a better Billy Bones was Billy Connolly in the Muppet Treasure Oh my gosh. Billy Connolly was an amazing Billy Bones. Um, but I think that the guy who played Billy Bones in the Wishbone version did really good too, because mm. like he he actually gets the the black spot and he like actually has a heart attack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, when he's like, "Beware the seafaring man with one," leg. like that becomes his death rattle as he dies. Where the seafarer man with one leg. <laughs> That's how he dies, is by like stretching that out. And so, I don't know. I feel like Billy Bones needed more character exposition than what he got, and it was, it it ended up hurting Jim's character development because, uh, like, he just he ended up leaving home way way quicker and way easier than I was expecting him to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for me, I would say, I mean, this is hard because I, I really, there's not too many moments that I can think of that like, oh, scream 
bad. Like, I really enjoyed most, if not all, this movie. One moment that I will say, and it's connected to, to Ben, is I, I think Ben's introduction is a bit weird. It, it just it kind of took me out of the movie because I was the whole time going like, oh, I see what they're doing here. <laughs> I see what they're trying to do, you know, it's, it's, you know, and I, I remembered Ben from the, from the, like, you know, material, you know, and stuff like that, the trailers and stuff like that, so, like, I was kind of expecting a character like that, but it was kind of weird to have him show up, like, so late in the game, but then he's, like, you know, he's obviously just Martin Short just going crazy and trying to kind of invoke Genie from Aladdin and all this kind of stuff, and it, it, he's funny, but at the same time, again, he's kind of over the top and very like obvious. Like, oh yeah, this is just it's just for the kiddos. It's just for it's mm-hmm. just for laughed, and it's not adding a whole lot to the movie. So, and I don't want to keep things because I, I did enjoy that character. I think he added something to the movie, but at the same time, it, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do, and and that's the closest thing I can come to like a worst moment. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the happy stuff then. What about best moment? For me, I there's one scene in particular that always makes me tear up, and it's that scene after Mr. Arrow dies and Jim's feeling guilty about it, and um, and long john silver comes out and talks to him talks to jim and kind of gives him encouragement and and just all the dialogue there kind of gives you a look into long john silver and just kind of like how he how he really feels about jim and um it's 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 a good father figure moment you know it's it's not something that jim gets a whole lot of and you can really tell he took took long john silver's words and took them to heart and i think that was a big part uh, that was a big character developing scene for both of them i think and um i don't know that one that's one i always remember and and think that this particular version of the story does a lot better than maybe some other ones well i do like the relationship between silver and jim like there's there's something deeper there's something more there than just like a mutual respect yeah um but i also think that silver gets a little a little too cozy with him like Ah, getting soft morphe well i mean not even that it's just like like every other iteration i've seen it's like i like you boy but i don't like you more than the treasure Right, yeah. And there are a few sequences in this film where, like, he does seem to prioritize Jim more than the treasure. And I get that that's to kind of, like, maybe teach morality to kids or some crap like that, but that's not exactly... <laughs> some, some some crap like that. Some, some crap like teaching morality to kids. Some, some crap like teaching them that they need to value people more than possessions. I mean, really. But it's just, it's not as true to Silver's character as... I was expecting it to be like, so I, which one do you, which one do you think is more interesting though? That or like one where he's like just clearly after the treasure and nothing else or one where he's more con- conflicted. Uh, you're saying which one do I like or which one is like, yeah, the- I mean like, yeah, I understand it might be true to the story if he's not that way, but which one do you prefer? I guess I, I will still always prefer uh, Tim Curry's long John silver. Yeah. 
Like, I, I just think... I think he toes that line better than anybody else. There's nothing wrong with this, John Silver. I just think the the whole being a gentleman of fortune and and like I think the the sequence where where he captures Jim on the beach in Muppet Treasure Island and he cuts him loose and he says, "Let's go dig up the treasure together." I but we'll yeah. be we'll be we'll be needing your compass though. And Jim's like, "No, that's my father's compass." And then he finally just looks at him and holds out his hand and he goes, I'll be having it either way, Jim. Yes. Like, like, he gives him this option of, let's do it as shipmates, as friends. But then he's like, if you say no, I'm taking your compass anyway. Like, that's that's the John Silver that I know. The one when where... you're a professional pirate. You don't have to wear a suit. <laughs> I love that goat. <laughs> He is the goat. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> the goat is the goat. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um, I think for me, my 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 favorite scene, my my best scene, is the encounter with the black hole. Mm. Like it's visually stunning, and it's a great take on you know securing the lifelines and and manning the sails and everybody pitching in and doing what they can during the storm but it's a solar storm it's not like a high seas type of storm like we see on a lot of pirates of the caribbean movies like it's it's a it's a new take on an old concept and it's got action it's got some some intelligence involved as Doppler tries to plot the course out of there. It's got teamwork and collaboration and communication and a little bit of deception and, and even a death with, with Mr. Arrow being sent into the abyss. Like it's, it's got a little bit of all the best elements of the film from the visuals to the character development. And I think, I think it's great for Jim's character as he realizes that, you know, you can do everything right and still get blamed for stuff. And I think it's good for the story of the movie overall that you have your first fatality and realize that if somebody as noble as Mr. Arrow could die, nobody's safe. Yeah. 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 And speaking of that scene and speaking of star Wars, how similar was that escape from the black hole to the escape from the Kessel run? Uh, that that whole sequence in Solo. Take a drink, another Star Wars connection. Yeah. Hey, I just took a drink of water, but that's because my voice is going dry. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. It's it's a lot like it. Yeah. They fall all the way down into the thing and then get blown out. Like it's great. Exactly. Oh right, Ben. Did you have like a a favorite sequence from this movie? Oh, I think you know. There's a lot of great action. I really liked all the action. I think maybe the one of the last scenes where it's Silver being seen off by uh, or, or or Jim helping Silver kind of escape at the end. Really sweet scene. Really kind of great. Kind of caps off their relationship really well. And I think their relationship is probably one of my favorite aspects of the movie is their their whole thing the the back and forth. And obviously they're they're friends. They're enemies. They go back and forth. It's a very Silver kind of reminds me of Hondo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, or maybe, or maybe Honda was based on Silver. Who knows? But uh, you know, it's a great little matchup, and I think 
it's a great cap to, you know, Silver's all about the money, but he, he realized he does have a heart and that whole thing and him giving, uh, you know, uh, Jim part of the reward, part of the treasure at the end so he could rebuild his mo- mom's tavern is, is great. It just, it's just a great little sweet scene that, you know, it's, it, it, it ties it all up. I think you can have great movies that are like full of action, adventure, whatever, but if it's not, I think I've grown, as the older I get, the more I appreciate movies that really drive home, okay, this is what this movie is trying to say. This is what this movie is trying to come across. It's not just dumb fun. It's trying to teach you something. And that's the great thing about Disney movies. The great thing about I know it's dumb kid moral crap, as, as, as Zach put it, but I like it. I happen to enjoy that stuff. Yeah, same. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that particular sequence because I I personally feel like that conversation about, you know, Jim learning that he has the ability to plot his own course and just the the saying of goodbyes, I I feel like that may be an appropriate quote of the night, don't you? I you're right. That would be great. I think I think it's I think it's solid dialogue that kind of helps wrap up the story. And gives a, a good sense of, of completion to what you, you've watched, and it's got a really cool uh, analogy that that John Silver gives when he's like complimenting Jim one last time. So, uh, yeah, let's just go ahead and let that slide into becoming tonight's quote of the night. Here you guys go. Enjoy. You never quit, do you? Ah, Jimbo. Ha ha. I was uh, merely checking to make sure our last longboat was safe and secure. Mm. Well, that should hold it. <laughs> I taught you too well. Now, if you don't mind, we'd just as soon avoid prison little Morphy here. He's, he, he's a free spirit. Being in a cage... To break his heart. Oh. What say you ship out with us, lads? You and me, Hawkins and Silver, full of ourselves and no ties to anyone. You know, when I got on this boat, I would have taken you up on that offer in a second. But uh, I met this old cyborg, and he taught me that I could chart my own course. That's what I'm going to do. And what do you see off that bow of yours? A future. Look at you, glowing like a solar fire. You're something special, Jim. You're going to rattle the stars, you are. All right, well, uh, we, we put in that quote of the night because it was timely, but we do still need to give our planet scores for this film. And uh, Jake, I'm going to let you lead off because I know you're crunched for time. If you need to dip out, that's cool. But sure. what are what are your final thoughts and your final score for Treasure Planet? 
Well, my final thoughts are, I mean, like Atlantis, I I am going into this with nostalgia goggles, sure, and how it made me feel as a kid and all that stuff. And yes, I loved Atlantis, and I I feel like it's really, really, really good. Your um, planet, I. I also feel like is really, really good. And um, I feel like we're more in agreement about this movie than maybe we were about Atlantis. Um, just in in terms of how quality it is, not only in animation, but the take on the story, the characterizations, the humor, the, you know, everything about this movie, I think, really knocks it out of the park. And it's really unfortunate that it suffered at the box office and didn't do as well as Disney had hoped because it is so, uh, it's so fun. And I think it really succeeds at what it does. And, um, and it's just a really solid movie. Uh, so I'm going to give this an, a nine out of 10. I think this just really is a good retelling a creative retelling of the treasure, um, Treasure Island story more so than I think that the great mouse detective was of Sherlock Holmes even and I recommend it to anybody so check it out hmm. that's that's an interesting comparison it's one that I hadn't made before but I mean I think there are some more on the nose uh, stylizations and representations in this than what we got with the great mouse detective that's that's an interesting point sure uh, Ben Final thoughts and scores. I, Steven put it in the chat. He said we should call this edition our Treasure Planet scores. Hey, there you go. <laughs> oh, Steven, I love you, man. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect. That's exactly what it's going to be. So, unlike Jake, I, I came at this completely new. You know, obviously, I'm not coming at this with nostalgia. I I, I remember it coming out. I remember all of the marketing, I remember seeing trailers and stuff like that, and, you know, cereal boxes, whatever, like in the supermarkets, like all that stuff permeated. I mean, we're talking about the early 2000s. The whole idea of, like, really marketing movies was, like, huge, and obviously Disney was doing that with this one. So I remember that, but not much else. And since then, I've just heard so many things about this movie, so many, you know, really great things about it, and from, you know, people growing up loving it to people petitioning for it to be a live-action version of the movie. I think some, some, yeah, I've heard some casting choices like that. Like, I am totally down for that. And for me, this movie, un, you know, I'm not, I don't want to throw shade in the last couple movies, but, like, I enjoyed those movies, but they maybe not, didn't really live up to the hype that I was expecting. This movie did. Treasure Planet absolutely is up there in my choices of, you know, top Disney movies. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really think they, they nailed this one. I think it was ahead of its time. And, you know, it's, it's shocking that it, it really didn't receive the, the recognition it did, even though it did get an Oscar nomination, if not a win. So like just all around a magnificent movie, really solid movie, probably one of the best interpretations of the specific story that we've seen before. And just a fun, romp right i'm a sucker for sci-fi fantasy so no duh i enjoyed it but i think this movie really really nailed it when it came to that and just the mechanics the story the characters the performances they're all filing all cylinders so i'm gonna give this one my treasure planet score will be a nine out of ten nice mm. Mm, mm, mm. so 
I'm I'm looking at all of the awards and nominations and stuff. Um, in '03, I don't know what the other nominees were, but uh, in 2003, this movie was nominated for both a Saturn and an Oscar for Best Animated Film. Really? Wow. That makes sense to me. It's really stunning. It is. It's just unfortunate that it didn't do well enough in the box office to garner any further success. Yeah. It's crazy. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, uh, one other uh, fun fact that I'm going to dish out to you guys tonight and to you guys listening. Um, if it hadn't been for a last-minute cancellation, we would have had two guests on the show as well as the three voices that we've got here. And just knowing uh, these people and knowing their uh, mannerisms and their affection for this show, I feel pretty certain that they would be along a similar line to what you guys were rating them around uh, a nine as well. So we're going to put a couple of nines in the audience chat uh, for their sake. And uh, we're hoping to have them on, on a future episode in the not too distant future. So um, I was just, I was, I was kind of bummed because I was like, man, this is like right up their alley, but um, things happen, you know, and it's it's okay. Yeah. But we wish them the best, and uh, hopefully we'll get them on the show soon. But they're just there's a lot of people that have the opinion that this was uh, a really good and really fun movie, and I'm in that same camp. Um, I just don't think I can give it a nine though, because it does have some pacing issues, it does have some character development issues. I wish that we had had a little bit different type of music in certain circumstances and I wish that we had had a little bit better explanation uh, as we're doing the world building let's have a little bit more explanation about uh, about these ships and their ability to fly through space you know if this is the only instance we're going to get of it let's get a little bit more of it so that we have a more comprehensive understanding of it um, John Silver is, isn't my favorite villain but he does a good job um and I, and I like the cast. I do really like the cast. I do really like the adventure and the animation and even the action. You know, some of the fight sequences that you get in here are really creative. Some of the story pieces that you get in here are really creative. We didn't even touch on the portal and Captain Flint's ability to just select a planet in the galaxy and go through the portal, plunder it, and then go back home again. Oh, so smart. Like, that is something straight out of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's an episode of the next generation where there's an alien species that has that technology to be able to go from portal to portal and uh, I think the crew of Voyager tries to find it at one point so that they can try and portal themselves home like you know there's a lot of Star Wars and Star Trek uh, connections to this film and combine that with pirates and the open ocean and high seas adventures and stuff like that this is just a very fun all-around film and it's one that i would watch again with uh with probably other people in tow just so that i'm not watching this movie by myself all over again um but i enjoy it i would watch it again and of the three that we have discussed i like this one the most uh but spoiler alert i'm probably gonna like next week's discussion even more (laughs) so uh this movie for me is going to get an eight out of ten Nice. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh man, I'm I'm kind of bummed that the discussion's over, but I'm hopefully 
this gives people enough incentive to go find it on Disney Plus and watch it. If you haven't seen it recently or if you haven't seen it before, hopefully you're inspired to watch it now. Yeah, if 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 it, if there's, I think we all have like blind spots, you know, movies that we've missed. You know, I know there's a ton of Disney movies, especially on Disney Plus, that I haven't missed. If you're wanting to go back and rewatch some of them, I would highly recommend checking out Treasure Planet first before any of them because it's it's a great one. It's a fun one. It's a fun one. Although I'm already getting uh, a little bit of flack for giving it an eight out of ten, which is funny, but. <laughs> It's okay. It's it's okay. Um, Jake just wrote us saying that he has to dip out, but be sure to go find him on social media at Jake Damon and Jake W. Damon and his art account, uh, Jack's Patch, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And uh, follow us on social as well. Find the podcast at uh, IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Zach the Voice and Instagram at Zach.TheVoice, Z-A-C-H period, Zach.TheVoice. Ben, you're the only one amongst us that actually has consistent branding across all social media platforms. I do try. I do try. It's uh, at Ben Hart with no E on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, check me out. Check us all out. Uh, And be sure to check out RIPC on Fandom Empire. We're going to be doing another episode coming up soon, as I mentioned, but uh, you can find all their stuff at phantomempire.net, and you can find previous episodes of this podcast over at starwarsunderworld.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, so be sure to hit subscribe so you know when the next episode is dropping, and leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I got all the plugs out of the way, and that gives us enough time for just a quick moment of uh, this really interesting edition of this final segment and uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it to you because it's got your name on it so uh, folks if you're listening live then get out your hashtags if you're not then put it on social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest and anything else that can carry a hashtag it's time for one more round of hashtag BBQ watch barbecue barbecue All right, dude, this just says Hot Spot. I'm assuming that's the name of a place that you visited recently or something? It is. You are correct there. So, uh, you know, surprisingly, maybe this is a surprise, maybe it isn't, um, I don't go out and eat barbecue a whole lot. I just don't. Um, So, you know, it's a special occasion when, when I actually go out with the family and go visit and eat at another barbecue restaurant. Right. And that's exactly what I did this past weekend was check out another barbecue restaurant. And it's one that I felt... You like scouting the competition or something? Well, this one's far enough away. There's really no competition. And I feel like, hey, you know, when I enjoy it, I want to, you know... Look, I've talked about it before. This is a bad time to have a small business, all right? It's really weird. Thankfully, 
speaking personally, we're doing really well. It's been great, and we're going into the 4th of July weekend, which may have already happened by the time you're listening to this, um, which is one of our busiest weeks of the year. It's amazing, but uh, very tiring, but uh, very amazing, and we're doing all right, but some businesses aren't doing so well, especially with COVID and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's bad. So I always give a chance to give a shout-out to another place. I think one that deserves some attention. If you're in the area, if you happen to be in the area, this place is called Hot Spot Barbecue. It's in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, it's a nice little place. I don't know how long they've been there, but they got some good food. They really got some good food, and you may hear some thunder. There's there's a storm rolling in right now, so we need we need to get hurry up and get this. <laughs> hurry. <laughs> oh God. So that's my cue to hurry up and get this show done before my power goes out. But <laughs> uh, but real quick, I'm going to tell you about Hotspot. And this place is, you know, I will say, had some fantastic service and some wonderful food. Um, they treat us really well, especially in this COVID thing. You know, people are trying to back get back and reopen. They're really nice to us. And had I, of course, can you guess what I had? Can you guess? Um, I'm I'm going to venture a wild guess and say it had something to do with pulled pork. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. Maybe you nailed it there. Um, Pulled pork sandwich was mine, and they had a great – my side dish was this mac and cheese, but it had, like, ham in it. It was baked into there. I've had had bacon mac and cheese before. That stuff's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was really good. Um, and then they had the ribs were really good. The, the they had some like sliced up. It wasn't like chicken like normally like a leg and breast. It was like tenderloin chicken like sliced up. That was oh, really good. Okay. Um, the beef was fantastic. Um, the ribs were really good. Like it was all really solid. And sometimes you'll go places like, hey, this is really good, but maybe this isn't as good. But all in all, like it was really great. So I definitely. Highly recommend Hot Spot Barbecue. It's uh, let me give you the address again. It's on uh, Lou. It's in Pensacola. I don't know what the address is. I can't think. Of that. It's in Pensacola, Florida. That's all I can tell you right now. Just search but... Hot Spot BBQ Pensacola, and it should show up in a Google yeah. search. I think. Okay, here's the thing. I think they have multiple locations. That's why I'm having trouble because they even have a food truck that goes out. Oh, that's... You can like track it and find out where it is day to day. So definitely go to their website and and find that because uh, yeah. So they've got multiple locations. They got a food truck that goes out, so you can get their food in multiple places. And they got the main location is a really nice place. But uh, yeah, good eating. Hey Ben, when are y'all getting a food truck? Well. I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe when? Maybe that's my retirement plan one of these days. Man, I would invest some of my retirement money in that. Then we could like recreate that BBQ television show we keep working on the pilot for. We need to come back to that one of these days. We really do. We got. We got to start working on. Cause I, I got some ideas. I have the opening sequence in my head for what oh. it should be. But it we got to make time to actually. I'll have to reveal it. I have it. It's not oh, written it, down, but it's up here in the old trap. If you if you write it down and put it in like a script format, I'll read it off with you here on the show sometime. I will definitely script it. Yes, absolutely. 
Well, I heard another rumble of thunder, so nature (laughs) is telling us that we need to wrap this show up. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Jake has already signed off. Ben needs to sign off. So this is Zach Arnold saying thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. And until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this final thought. The journey is often more important than the destination. And we hope that your journey leads back here to another episode of IPC. And until then, good night, everyone. Did I ever dance with an android named Lupe?